Hey, I want to tell you a story um, before the message, if I can. Um, today, is today the 12th? Yeah, it is. So today um, is my parents' anniversary. My parents have gone to be with the Lord. My um, father died in 01. I think my mom died in 13, 2013. Um, but uh, this is their anniversary today. And I just want to tell you a little story about uh, how God is so faithful in deliverance to kind of introduce this message to you. Um, my mom was born uh, in, in the slums of poverty in uh, Scotland, and uh, she lived in a little community called Coat Ridge. And I have pictures, or one picture, of the building she lived in, and it was, it was the slums of Scotland. And when she was nine years old, she and her family got on a ship and they came to America, and they moved into the slums of Buffalo, New York. And uh, she would say, here's what she would say, God delivered us from those slums in Scotland. She would say that, and she never said, my mom never said, I grew up in the slums. She never felt that way. But she saw God's deliverance at nine years of age. And then my mom, uh, growing up in, in the, those slums, there was a group of people called the Plymouth Brethren who had a ministry, an outreach ministry, into those slums. And my mom found Christ through their, their ministry. Praise God for those guys, right? And uh, she, when she um, became an adult, she met a truck driver named Glenn Shields, Hiram Glenn Shields, uh, from one county away from here. He was driving trucks up to Buffalo, and uh, she met him. They went to see the airplanes. And um, so there, that was a pretty cool thing. What was, and she would, uh, she, <laughs> she would tell this story. She would say, on December 7th, 1941, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. I was 21 years old, she would say. And I'm thinking like, great. And this was her line. War. And then this was my mom. I'm not going to pay a moment's attention to it. Okay? She felt like she could do that. The next day, on December 8th, 1941, that was their first date. She met Glenn. And in the months that were ahead, they fell in love. So that a year and five days later, is my math right? Yeah. They were married. And he was drafted. They were married at Fort Indian Town Gap. He was already in the military. She paid close attention <laughs> to that war that she said, I'm not going to pay any attention to it. She would say, God delivered us from that. He delivered us over and over and over again. And he does that. It is his thing to bring deliverance. And we're going to talk about that this morning. I would like to encourage you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be looking at 11 verses, starting at verse 25. We'll read through verse 35. Uh, there is a Bible app event for this message, and that can be helpful to you if you have the Bible app from version and you uh, look for an event near you in the menus, you'll find it. I want to begin by talking to you about being stuck. Have you ever been stuck? I mean, like, I'm just playing stuck, maybe in the snow, or maybe you were stuck in the mud somewhere. Perhaps you were even stuck in a bad relationship. Ever been there? Or maybe you were stuck in a dead-end job. Or maybe you're just kind of like, I'm just stuck in this emotional funk. Have you ever been that way? Like, ah, I'm just stuck here. Sometimes you can get yourself out of those things. I mean, I've rocked a car back and forth and back and forth and managed to get it out of the snow that it was stuck in before. You can do that sometimes. Other times, you can't get yourself out. A friend of mine was on a date with a guy, and they were taking her car, and um, they got stuck in the snow. And he said, well, let me drive, and, and I'll be able to rock us out. And he rocked it back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and eventually burned out the clutch in her car. Yeah, right? That was a very expensive date, I would imagine, right? There are sometimes you get stuck and you just cannot get yourself out. Getting unstuck can actually be tricky. 
And sometimes you need someone to help you. Sometimes you need someone to come in from the outside to deliver you from the place you're stuck. And that's really what Advent is. It is Christ coming to deliver us from a place that we're stuck. It's a big part of Advent. I want to read a passage of scripture here to you today about this deliverance that Jesus is giving. And the passage I'm reading is a passage, it's a Christmas passage, but it actually takes place a few weeks after Jesus is born. It's when they take him to the temple, as you would with any infant, and present him. So listen as I read, starting at verse 25 of Luke 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him that the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and will be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your soul too. The word deliver, it doesn't really appear in that passage at all. But that passage is all about the deliverance that this baby was going to bring. Because deliverance is a really big part of Advent. I'm not talking about deliverance in the sense of deliverance ministry. Maybe you've heard that term used to talk about spiritual warfare. I believe in that. That's not what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about today is the deliverance that Jesus offers to do for anyone who will trust him as their deliverer. And there are a number of phrases that Simeon uses in these 11 verses that relate to this deliverance that Jesus offers. One of the phrases is kind of peculiar. It's the phrase, consolation of Israel. It's right there in verse 25. It says in the latter part, he was waiting, that's Simeon, for the consolation of Israel. Consolation. We use that word in kind of a different way, you know. Well, for those of you that won't be advancing to the finals, we have a consolation prize for you, right? That's how we think of it. But that is not what Luke means as he's writing here. At that moment in history, Israel, the people of God, had suffered a great deal. They were in occupied land. It was their land, but it was occupied by the Roman government. And the Roman soldiers were the law enforcement, and they pretty well did as they pleased. And Roman officials were calling all the shots. And even their king, a gentleman, I use that term incorrectly of him. He was by no means a gentleman. But even their king was neither committed to them or even to God. He was an evil man, only committed to himself. And so Simeon, like any Jewish person of that day, would say, this is a dark time. And spiritually speaking, the people of God had been in the dark literally for generations And when Simeon says, when the scripture says that Simeon was awaiting the consolation of Israel, it's saying he was waiting for God. He's waiting for God to, to console them, yes, but he's waiting for God to encourage them. He's waiting for God to come beside them. He's waiting for God to lift them. He is waiting for God to deliver them out of this trap of darkness 
that they're in. He's waiting for God to deliver them from darkness to light. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. Another phrase that's connected with deliverance is he's waiting for the Lord's Messiah. It says in verse 26 that it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Some versions say the Lord's Christ. You understand Messiah is a Hebrew word. Christos is a Greek word. Translators do it either way they'd like to. He's waiting for the anointed one, anointed of God. He's waiting for the Savior sent from above. He's waiting for the deliverer. You really can't be a Messiah if you have no deliverance to offer. By the very definition of the term, a Messiah has to deliver. And this deliverance comes from Christ, the Messiah. A couple more phrases. There's this phrase, your salvation. In verse 30, upon seeing the baby, he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation, he says to God. And salvation is all but synonymous with deliverance. Have you ever been in a place that you needed rescued from? Somewhere you just needed someone to rescue you. I mean, maybe it was at a Christmas party with that one guy who had you in the corner and he wanted to talk about politics all night. Somebody, can, can you see I'm trapped over here, right? You know, Laurel and I used to have like a secret message that we give to each other if we needed delivered from a conversation like that, right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe you were swallowed by a great fish and needed to be delivered from that. Oh, wait, that's Jonah that that happened to, right? Yeah. When Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, did you know he prayed for God to deliver him? From inside the fish, Jonah 2.1 says, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep realm of the dead, I called out for help. And you listened to my, my cry. And then he goes on to say, what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Deliverance comes from the Lord. And the Lord God had that fish deliver him, <laughs> or vomit him, deliver him right onto dry ground. God saved him, delivered him from darkness to light. Salvation, deliverance, it comes from God. There's another phrase that Simeon uses, a light of revelation. In verse 32, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. When you're wandering around in the dark, you could use a light. But Jesus isn't just any light. He is a light that reveals something. And what he reveals is God's nature to us. He reveals God's love to us. He reveals God's concern for us. He reveals God's judgment. And he reveals God's grace. He reveals God's design for humankind. He reveals God's mercy and his holiness. Jesus is a light of revelation and that delivers us from darkness. One more, one more in this part. He uses the phrase, a sign. And the wording is really kind of strange. Look at verse 34. It says, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. And Jesus was spoken against again and again and again. Sometimes people who haven't really studied the life of Jesus, that haven't read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and or John, kind of feel like Jesus must have been this really popular guy that everybody just loved. He's so cool. Jesus is just so nice. They hated him. They hated him. He was a sign that was spoken against. That's why he was crucified. Every now and then you bump into people and 
it always kind of makes me half chuckle. Someone will say this. Have you heard someone say this? You know, I love Jesus. It's Christians that I don't like. I love Jesus. I just don't like those church people, you know? And I always want to ask kind of sarcastically, what is it you love most about Jesus? Is it his suggestion that you should hate your father and mother and love him instead? You like that? Or is it his directive to sell all you have and give the money to the poor? Is that where you're plugged in with Jesus? You like that? Maybe it's his instruction to let the dead bury their dead. You in line with that? Or maybe his directive to be, be perfect, just like God is perfect. Or, or maybe his insistence that you love your enemies. Or just his comments about the reality of hell. Now, all those things take some time to understand what Jesus is saying in each of those things. And, and, but, but one thing you've got to know for sure is that he is giving you a sign of what God is really like and what God really thinks and who God really is. And most of all, he's giving you a sign that there's no way you can measure up. You will need someone to deliver you. And if you don't have someone to deliver you, you'll burn out the clutch. Jesus is giving these signs that deliverance comes from him. Deliverance. What does he deliver us from? What are some of the things that Jesus delivers us from? You know, it's not that he's delivering you from that guy at the Christmas party who's pushing the politics. He's delivering us from darkness. What kind of darkness? Well, the Bible teaches that Jesus delivers us from the darkness of others. Darkness that would be injected into our life from the outside. Humanity is marked by it, you know. (laughs) During the days of Adolf Hitler in Germany, a young Jewish girl was keeping a diary. She had spent two years hiding from the Nazis in occupied Holland. Her own people, her own kind, had been taken from her and been placed in concentration camps and eventually put to death. She had seen a great deal of what could be quite rightly called horror. She wrote these words. In spite of everything, I still believe people are really good at heart. And then shortly thereafter, they came for her. And they took Anne Frank to a Nazi death camp where she was put to death. That forces me to ask the question, (laughs) are people basically good? Or are they basically bad? And that is a complex question because people are complex. We know the scripture says there is no good thing in me. I know that. But I've seen people who don't know God at all that have done amazingly good things. So my answer to that question is, yeah. (laughs) People are basically good or basically bad. We've all experienced the second of those, have we not? And Frank experienced some of the worst that humankind had to offer. And we, all of us here, have experienced darkness, not of that magnitude, but darkness from our fellow man. We find ourselves caught by the darkness in abuse and all its forms. There are people sitting in seats near you that have been subject to abuses of various kinds. There's probably many of you that would say there's someone sitting in the seat I'm in that has suffered abuse of various kinds. Christ delivers from that abuse. Human darkness is seen in the area of neglect. It shows up in our failure to have the attentive care that is necessary. And when that neglect becomes consistent, 
it really amounts to its own brand of abuse. Christ delivers you from that. Maybe you've seen darkness in a form of injustice that shows up in inequality or favoritism or unfairness. And I have been the recipient of that, and sadly, I have been the perpetrator of that. Darkness. We all bear the scars of darkness that comes into our lives from others. Christ delivers us from that. But the darkness we find ourselves trapped in does not need to be that dramatic. That some traumatic event came into your life and brought darkness. It can really come from mundane experiences as well. Maybe even something as as simple as a poor example. I have a friend who was in pastoral ministry and he failed in pastoral ministry. Not morally, he just failed in pastoral ministry. And as we were talking together, he said this. He said, I never had a good example of pastoral ministry, so I was doomed to fail. You see, the darkness did not come into his life from some traumatic event. It came in through an everyday kind of thing. A poor example. We see, though, that even in that, Christ brings deliverance. We see darkness come in through disappointment. All of us know of people who who have left the faith. They're no longer following Jesus. And when that person is someone that you really looked up to and admired, that can be darkness that enters your heart. And you're like, what is up with that? And that darkness can hold your heart, except that Christ is here to deliver you from that. Christ delivers us from traumatic darkness, from everyday darkness. He comes to do that. You know what, though? If we're really honest, we have to admit that the darkness isn't just something out there. If you're really honest, you'll probably admit that there is a darkness that is within yourself, in your own heart. I mean, sure, we can find ourselves in darkness because of the deeds of others, but don't forget that much of the darkness that we find ourselves experiencing is of our own making or maybe our own adopting. Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Anybody know who that guy is? Put your hand up if you do. Yeah, good, maybe five of you, yeah. Alexander Solzhenitsyn spent most of his life, or a good chunk of his life, I should say, in a Soviet prison camp. He was a a writer and a Soviet dissident. Stuff he wrote was really deep and meaningful. Listen to what he wrote. I I don't even know the name of the book that he wrote this from. The Gulag Archipelago. Wow, I can't even say that. I haven't read it. My mother read it. I haven't read it. I don't think I ever will. But listen to this quote from that book. If only it were all so simple, he writes. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. Ha! But the line, dividing good and evil, cuts through the heart of every human being. And no one is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart. Yeah, he's right. There is a darkness in my heart and in your heart, a darkness from which we desperately need to be delivered. It's a darkness of desire that has gone wrong. It is a darkness of addiction that seeks to destroy. It is a darkness even of self-promotion. It's there. And Jesus came to deliver you from that. He came to deliver me from myself. Jesus came to deliver 
the darkness in ourselves, the darkness in this world system. When the New Testament speaks of the world, it's speaking two different ways. First, there's the world that God so loves. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. There's a second way that the scripture uses the word world to say the world system that has set itself up in opposition to God and to all that is holy. That system that is aligned against God's character, that system brings darkness into our lives. It celebrates things that should not be celebrated. The seven deadly sins, lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy. It's so easy as the world spins those things around. It's so easy to realize that that's not cotton candy that's being spun around there. That's a spider's web. And that's darkness. But Christ came to free us from that. He delivers us from evil. And he transitions us into light. He connects us with the light of his glorious presence, his nearness. Have you ever had one of those moments when you felt the presence of God? You ever have that? I felt that so profoundly when both of my children were born. I'm not sure that Laurel did. But I know I did. I wept. Not just because I was a dad, not just because everybody was okay, but God was there. In that birthing room. And I could sense him there. Many of you have commented to me through the years that, wow, this morning, Pastor Steve, I just sensed the presence of God in church. In fact, individuals who watched online, one Sunday morning they said, we sense the presence of God right here in our house. I don't know, in Punxsy or wherever they were. We sense the presence of God. And it happens at Christmas Eve at Kerwinsville Alliance. I don't know that I've ever been at a Christmas Eve service that I walked away from and didn't think to myself, God was here. That is just so beautiful. God was here. Now, think about this. If what we want to be delivered to is the glorious light of God's presence, then it would make sense for us to strategically place ourselves where we can experience his nearness and to remove ourselves from those places where we cannot. So take your eyes off of that which leads to darkness. Walk away from that that leads to despair. And turn your heart toward the cross of Christ and see his great love and his light. The Apostle Paul is writing the book of Philippians. And by the way, Philippians in the New Testament is frequently called the book of joy. And in there, in chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever is right, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about them dare things. Well, he doesn't say it that way. Think about such things. I get this image quite frequently these days in my mind of Christ holding out his hand opening the door and holding the door open or whatever, you know? And I just imagine him opening up his hand and saying, come and join me in the light. Let me pull you from that which you are trapped in. Let me rescue you. Let me deliver you from the darkness and bring you into my glorious light. Man, if he is doing that, grab a hold of that hand. Take his hand. Make him the center of your life. The center of your life. 
Not a peripheral thing. The center. Christ delivers you into his presence. He actually delivers you into what I'm going to say, the wholeness of his new creation. I know that Simeon, I feel confident he wasn't thinking about this. But the fact is, because of that baby that he held in his hands, delivery was coming to all of the cosmos, to all of creation. Saturday morning, we awoke to news that at least four tornadoes had touched down in Kentucky. And there were others in other states. WLKL Louisville reported it was the most severe tornado event in Kentucky history. And since then, other news sources are saying it's the worst there ever was anywhere. One of those tornadoes, think about this. One of those tornadoes cut its path, was on the ground continuously for over 200 miles. Can you imagine that? They have deaths in multiple counties. Last I heard, they were estimating perhaps 100 people lost their lives. Add to that great sorrow the loss of countless deaths in tsunamis, in earthquakes, volcanoes, hurricanes, floods, wildfires. The Insurance Information Institute, who has good reason to keep close tabs on these things, they say that in 2020, 8,200 people lost their lives to natural catastrophes such as these. That was 2020. If you back up 16 years from there, it lands you in 2004 in the Indian Ocean, a tsunami occurred, and it was two. 125,000 plus lives swept away, gone. Those kind of events give us pause. They give me pause. They remind me that I live in a broken world, a world that somehow or other is in desperate need of being delivered from that. There's no way that Simeon would have known this. (laughs) that the baby he's holding in his arms will bring deliverance to the whole of the cosmos. Romans chapter 8. The first Bible verse I committed to memory after I became a pastor because that week a 56-year-old woman died of cancer and I was going to do my first funeral ever. God gave me this verse from Romans chapter 8. It's verse 18 where it says, I consider that our present sufferings aren't worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Listen to the following verses. For the creation, the cosmos, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in the hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. This broken, messed up world because of this baby in Simeon's arm is going to be delivered. It's going to be delivered from bondage from decay. Christ delivers us from decay and death, and he delivers us into our eternal inheritance. 
a healing that makes you personally whole. If you are trusting in this baby, God promises you a complete makeover, a complete healing. It's complete and it's being completed. It's complete in this sense that every part of you, if you're trusting in this baby, is being transformed. Every part of you is transitioning from darkness to light. I say that because of a great verse of scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 23, it says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you wholly through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Every part of you, the healing, the transformation, the change, the sanctification is physical, but it is beyond that. It is psychological, but it is beyond that. It is emotional, but it is beyond that. It is spiritual. Everything about you that is broken is something Christ is healing. And nothing, there is nothing that he is not addressing. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. There's a renovation of your person called sanctification. And when it's completed, it will be called glorification. If you're trusting in Christ, it's underway. And it will be completed. It's completely purchased by his death on the cross. You experience that deliverance from darkness personally and internally as you surrender your heart more and more and more to him. He makes those transitions in your heart more and more and more. Ever feel trapped? Ever feel stuck? Is your heart a place? Is your heart in a place where you would rather it would not be? There's a deliverer who can move it. A deliverer who can set you free. A deliverer who wants your heart. And he offers you his hand of deliverance. You see, deliverance is not brought about by heaping on guilt and constantly rehearsing your own failures. It is brought about by a growing understanding and appreciation of God's great grace for you. And he heaps on the grace. Deliverance is not brought about by you trying harder and harder and harder and harder. (laughs) Setting a New Year's resolution. It's not brought about that way. It is about you trusting more and more confidently, more confidently, more confidently. Deliverance is not brought about by feeling like, wow, I really owe God. I better pay him back. It's not that way at all. It is the simple overflow of the gratitude of your heart when you see his mercy and grace and it flows from you like rivers of living water. That's the gratitude. That's deliverance. Deliverance is not about standing up, tough, strong. Deliverance is about leaning in, gentle, quietly, 
sometimes desperately, leaning in to the heart of Jesus. All of those things require surrender more and more and more. And as you surrender to him, the darkness is set aside. He delivers you from it. And the light belongs to you. And you bathe in it. I'm going to pray that you would do that, that I would do that, that we would do that. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and let's pray together. I said this in the first service. (laughs) I've said it other times too. That sometimes when it's time to stand up at the end, we're kind of like, oh, okay, we're almost done, right? And honestly, I mean this. This is the most important part of the service right here. Don't check out. Check in here. Because this is the time you talk to your deliverer and you say, I need to be delivered. There are probably things in the hearts of various people here that you know you're in bondage to. There is probably darkness in the hearts that are represented here that you would like to dismiss. You'd love to be rid of it. And this time of prayer is the time you bring that before the throne of God. You lay that at the cross of Christ and you say, I want that. I want to be free of this darkness. Deliver me from evil. (laughs) Deliver me from this darkness. Jesus taught you to pray that way, right? And place me into the glorious light. I want to pray that we would be able to do that. So let's do it. Father in heaven, these are our hearts that are standing before you. Hearts that love light because we love you. We find ourselves strangely attracted to things that are not good for us and destructive to us. We know Christ died because of things like that. And we are appreciative of the forgiveness and release from guilt and shame that he has purchased for us. Thank you, Jesus. We would like to be free from these areas of darkness, wherever they came from. If it came from abuse, if it came from our own hearts, if it came from living in a fallen world, we would like you to address those things in our hearts, those places in our hearts where we allow darkness in. We repent of allowing the darkness in. We release that to you and we surrender to you. And with a heart of gratitude, we would ask you to fill us with your light that we would be, as you have said, the light the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Make it so this Advent season. We ask this in the name of the baby Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Angels from the